You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Game week number nine of the 2020 Penn State schedule. Just ahead Saturday evening in Beaver Stadium, the fifth home game of this year, and it's the Illinois Fighting the Illini that roll into town uh, just days after firing head coach Lovey Smith and about 48 hours after when this game kicks off of losing arguably their top player on either side of the football as he ends his college career early. We'll get into all those details in a bit. Uh, we'll talk with uh, an Illinois reporter about this matchup, about what Penn State will see on the football field. Um, looks like the Nittany Lions are well set up to extend that win streak to four, but it's not really the year to be making those kind of major assumptions, so they'll have to go out and play 60 minutes of football. We'll be following the action, of course, on Saturday, but our conversation on this particular episode begins with the early signing period across college football. We previewed it pretty in-depth on Tuesday, going over each and every one of those 15 verbal commitments that Penn State carried into the early signing period as the dust settled. Well, it didn't take long, Sean. Uh, by 10 a.m., Penn State had reported out the signatures from all 15 of those commitments. No drama in terms of losing guys. There's still some other names out there as the early signing period comes to a close that we've been monitoring. Some doors have shut. Some others remain cracked open. We're going to talk about the transfer portal and what that means to this whole scenario. But as things stand right now, recording on Friday, again, Penn State seals the deal with all 15 of those committed players. Uh, most of them committed since back in the spring. And then uh, the number 21 class right now in the composite rankings, number five in the Big Ten. Those numbers don't, don't jump out at you in terms of what James Franklin has accomplished on the recruiting trail during his recent years at Penn State. One number that does stand out is that 15, that is the smallest number of signees for any program inside the top 30 of those composite class rankings. You want to call it drama-free, you can call it boring, you can call it whatever you want. If if you're looking for a program that gets the juices flowing on signing day, it's not Penn State. They've uh, remained relatively free of the spotlight on signing day. Um, some of that by design, some of that obviously not uh, not what they're looking for with some other some guys late in the process. Regardless, 15 guys coming in, 21st ranked class in the 24-7 sports rankings, uh, team rankings, excuse me. Um, it, it's a good group. Again, we're, we're not here to to bang on the players that are in there because the players that are in there are actually pretty good. Um, again, this is one that's going to be reflected on who they missed. And and obviously there's, there's uh, you know, that's a, that's a valid criticism. Absolutely. Um, but the guys that they brought in, they seem pretty confident in. They were able to keep that entire group down the stretch, which was not easy to do in this cycle. I think uh, especially with guys that are all over the place, those Michigan guys, the win over Michigan, the win over Michigan State. I don't think I can emphasize enough how much it meant to keep those guys into the in the class. So um, still a good group. Uh, average star rating, obviously, kind of right on par with where Penn State's been. Um, but you know, it's it's just that that thing that we're gonna we're gonna sort of com uh, compartmentalize this class into the guys they got, the guys they didn't get, and the guys they didn't get are the ones that we're gonna be talking about probably a lot longer than than some other uh, some other aspects of this class. I don't think anyone needs reminding, but I know that we have some folks who are not necessarily plugged in the recruiting and maybe tune into this podcast episode because they're curious how the, the class shook out. First off, we gave you kind of that 
player-by-player detail on our last episode. All that stuff still holds up with those 15 commitments and and now signees. We're going to talk about uh, that group and and some takeaways from our early uh, feedback with the coaching staff now that we can actually have those conversations. Uh, But I do want to reiterate, no visits, no formal visits. There were some guys getting to campus, uh, grabbing a bite, checking out town, uh, but no formal visits since March for anyone across college football. No official visits along the way, which means if you wanted to see Penn State, you had to pay your own way. You and your family had to make the trip on your own dime and, and try to find the time to make that happen. And you weren't going to a game, of course. So uh, you just basically had to show up to campus and, and, and try to organize a, a day and a schedule for yourself with some help from the staff. But now that we're caught up there and, and you kind of understand where things are, Sean, you mentioned kind of that list. And, and again, we're going to talk about some of these takeaways from the signees, but we start with with another list that's kind of add or another name that's added to that list of guys they missed and this was not a name on our uh, on our radar for a very long time like like a Nolan Rucci or uh you know like a D- Dante Thornton who ultimately left the class uh but Deshaun Morrell became a good a, a big name to know uh, during, down the course of this cycle four-star running back by 24/7 Sports out of the state of Alabama was committed to UCLA for some time, then backed off that verbal pledge, opened the door. Penn State jumped right in there. Uh, communication building, again, not a kid who got the campus here late in the stretch, but one that just a few days ago seemed to be some momentum moving towards the Nittany Lions, and what they accomplished at running back is really hard to ignore for any prospect at the position. But again, a, a name that, that ends up in the miss column rather than the hit column on this cycle. Yeah, it's another tough one for Penn State down the stretch. It's It's been sort of this thing that keeps popping up when you can't get these guys on campus, when you can't get them around your staff, you don't really get a great feel. Now, for, for what it's worth, i you know fairly confident in our reporting over the last week that he told both schools he was coming to their school and uh, ended up with UCLA. So that's been something that it, it, I think has kind of popped up more in this cycle. You, you don't have that face-to-face interaction. You don't have those interpersonal relationships with the coaches and things like that. So you've, you've been able to get away with that. And there's been a couple of prospects that have done that throughout this cycle. So it's been, it's been tough to, to stomach. Uh, the Morel, uh, you know, I, I felt like back when they offered him in, it was either late October, or early November, um, that they wouldn't have offered him unless they thought they had a great shot to, to get him. And he backed off that UCLA commitment because in, in large part to that Penn State offer. So Thought things were kind of aligning here, and you know, as of last week, that was going to be the case. And then something, something flipped a switch here late, and you know, it's just a little bit more twenty twenty in your cycle. So that's uh, it's kind of where Penn State stands with that. It's interesting to me about this uh, this whole cycle with running back. We talked about Penn State recruiting guys like Donovan Edwards and Amari Daniels down in Florida, and really wasn't much on the you know much to go with there. We thought they would actually skip a running back in this cycle. What's interesting to me is with, with all this talk that we've heard from Penn State in the last week, the transfer portal is going to be very, uh, you know, they're, they're going to emphasize the transfer portal, be more active. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But running back's a spot to me that really is intriguing because you know what you've got on campus. You've got those four guys that are coming back. Of course, Noah Kane's going to deal with the injury. Devin Ford's coming back. Kevon Lee, um, Kaziah Holmes. But at the same time, you saw how quickly that position can just go from very well stocked to, uh, we're kind of playing two freshmen here. So it wouldn't be shocking to me to see Penn State, even though it really doesn't make sense on the surface with the roster that they have, the depth chart that they have, to go after a veteran running back in the portal to to, to see if they can bring in a guy that's college ready, ready to go. Because, I mean, if you think back to, um, you know, the 
even like the Maryland game, you know, Penn State's down two running backs all, all of a sudden. Devin Ford is obviously not the every down guy that they're looking. If they had a guy that, you know, could could move the sticks and, you know, even for Penn State fans looking back to uh, to the 2012 season when they were just cycling through running backs until they got to Zach Zwinak, I mean, you, you're looking for a guy that can come in and, and do some things and carry the load and carry the ball for you 15 times. You might be in a very different situation if you're Penn State in 2020 right now. So I, I think that's an interesting proposition there. Um, there, there. There have been guys that they have had previous relationships with that have entered the portal. I think uh, you know everybody's going to be looking at quarterback. And, and James Franklin said on Friday that you're you're looking at defensive end, you're looking at defensive back. But there are some positions where you can supplement the talent that you have without giving up you know, four years on a scholarship, five years on a scholarship. And Morell to me was a guy that would come in. He would, you know, you would hopefully develop him. You know, he's 185 pounds. You hopefully develop him in a couple of years. He'll be ready. Now with the transfer portal, you've got an opportunity to try and bring in a guy that can, that can play right away. And that kind of makes sense. And it also probably helps you with your 22 recruiting. When you talk to, you know, those top guys that they have on their list that, you know, th- throughout in the next cycle is that, Hey, we didn't take one last year. Uh, you know, the transfer portal is kind of smoking mirrors anyway. So you, you've got this opportunity where you you say, hey, there's nobody in the class in front of you. It's a good opportunity for you to come in and play. Yeah, that and combined with the fact that the last five running backs they have brought in have burned their red shirt as a freshman and um, or played as a freshman extensively because I, yeah, I, don't, I don't necessarily know if we would have seen these guys burn red shirts. Uh, maybe, I mean, I guess you would have had to see it with, with Noah Kane out and Devin Ford missing time here and there. And of course, Journey Brown medically retiring. I guess there was really no way around, even if the NCAA rules hadn't changed, where Kaziah Holmes needs to be on the football field for more than four games. And certainly, Kevon Lee earned his way to that status. But, you know, last cycle you saw w- without all the stipulations, it was just a straight up burning of the red shirt by Noah Kane and Devin Ford. And then the year before, you had Ricky, St- Ricky Slade playing extensively as the primary number two to Miles Sanders. So, uh, uh, Jaywan Sider, since he got here, can really say, look, w- w- if you earn a spot in the field and you're a freshman, you're going to see that time. We're going to give you the ball. We're going to give you those opportunities. And I think that combined with potentially a, a gap year in, in building out that roster – uh, yeah, that it does make it a desirable spot, and as long as Miles Sanders keeps having the kind of games that he did, and you're going to get Saquon Barkley back on an NFL field next year, and it's it's a strong brand, and and as we said, it always feels like if you want a guy, uh, you're you're going to find a guy. It just didn't happen in this case with this particular name, as you said, the transfer portal. Uh, there's there's got to be some players out there, and 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 some notable ones who had success at their recent school that maybe do view Penn State as that kind of path, but. I'm curious, you know, when they see what is cooking in this room, it's not really a, a running back group where you say that's a spot where I can go to and command the ball and become the, the a kind of bell cow or even the, the the unquestioned number two because with with Noah Kane coming back into the fold, you know that the expectations are very high for him. We've heard that on the record from Noah himself, but certainly Jay Wan Sider, James Franklin, what Kevon Lee has done to finish off this year, will have another chance against an Illinois team that, as we'll discuss, gives up a ton of rushing yards to finish his season on a high note. Devin Ford, Keziah Holmes. So there's not like th- there's a clear path to playing time that if you're a guy who say had you know 2,000 rushing yards in three seasons at another school and you want to look to finish things off and maybe uh, climb a little bit in the Power Five ladder. You know, Penn State, there's a lot of things to like about the track record at running back, but there's also some things that might dissuade you from 
from kind of punctuating your career from a production standpoint with this program. Curious to see how it plays out there. The offensive line, Sean, a small class right now. Landon Tengwall, Nate Bruce are on board. Uh, one of the names that, that we had discussed of late was Austin UK out of uh, Texas, a kid who was committed to low-level football, uh, ends up getting a bunch of Power 5 offers, um, and at this point, as last I checked, has not signed anywhere. Another name now on the radar, Josh Simmons out of California, as you noted on, on Friday morning with, with your uh, VIP post uh, up on Lions 24-7. Kid who picked up an offer during this early cycle, and that turns your head and projected by the crystal ball to end up with San Diego. So uh, that's another spot where, you know, is the door open for Penn State? And, and just staying on the line, I'm going to throw a bunch of this your way, and you can do with it what you will. Davon Townley, a name we've talked about out of Minnesota, defensive end, four-star by 24-7 sports. He decides to push his decision back into February, that signing period. And George Rooks, defensive tackle out of New Jersey, another four-star, a guy that, has, again, has been one of those few names that we've talked about, legitimate consideration, mutual interest going down the stretch of this signing period. Him and his family got to campus despite this snowstorm. They were here on Thursday, based on your reporting, and makes you wonder if a decision might be imminent now. Yeah, that that it's been all over the mar- or all over the place with Rooks because they've really sort of uh, clamped down on what they they get out there. So we were able to confirm that uh, that trip via sources, and this is. Uh, this is one one where I feel like Rooks has been, you know, the, the player himself has been favoring Penn State and maybe trying to convince some of those around him that Penn State's the place for him. They visited, I mean, Rooks probably visited more than any other prospect through this shutdown, just coming by, checking out campus. I know they went to Michigan and at times they would stop, you know, it just, I, I think that this is probably your most uh, likely guy to sign before the, um, before the, the door, sham, the, the window slam shut at midnight uh, on Friday night. So maybe before you hear this podcast, quite frankly, right? Right. Hey, that'd be yeah, great. We're that'd be great. It, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think that that's going to be um, definitely the one to watch. That's that's probably when you talked about uh, targets going into signing day. Morell was on the offensive side of the ball. Rooks was on the defensive side of the ball. So these were you know the guys that we were watching closely. And and I think that you know if it feels like this was a situation where they weren't actually committing to signing early and they weren't committing to signing in February because none of the schools involved really knew when they were going to sign. So I feel like that Penn State has the momentum right now. Uh, does that mean they, that they get this uh, – I guess it's not a fax anymore, but they get that that letter of intent by the end of the day. I think that's still very much up in the air, and that kind of falls in line with what the George Rooks recruitment has been so far. But that would be a big get for them late. This is a guy they targeted for a long, long time, uh, 6'4", 2'6". He's got a, a really good frame to work with, um, and, and he's a guy that's a, an, he's an interior guy for the long term. Yes, Penn State does not need it. defensive tackles right now, but uh, they felt like you know he was probably the best option out there. And what's out there with defensive ends, you're not seeing too much. I think the Townley thing, is, is probably what's um, interesting to me is that it, this one seemed like Penn State was really fading down the stretch. And then all of a sudden, you think that he's actually going to pop to Arizona State uh, in the early signing period, which kind of was out of nowhere. Minnesota was involved for a long, long time. It seems like they've trailed off as well. Penn State reached out the other day, says, hey, we're definitely still interested. So, you know, if it, whether or not he gives them another chance or a chance, uh, I guess, to, to, to get into it, 
we will see um, whether or not that that takes shape. But I think Townley is the interesting one because that that's a guy they've wanted for a long, long time. And one defensive lineman on board right now, Rodney McGraw, who flipped over from the Indiana Hoosiers back in May. He signed on Wednesday, and uh, we heard from Terry Smith, the defensive recruiting coordinator, cornerbacks coach for Penn State. They see him as an edge guy, so Rooks potentially filling an interior role for Penn State. We the numbers are what they are. A defensive tackle for the Nittany Lions at this point. A lot of young talent at that particular position, but Rooks would clearly be a welcomed addition. Um, Sean, roster movement, of course, does not end on the recruiting trail this winter of all winters. We're going to wait and see what happens the rest of this Friday if there's any kind of late signing. And let's remember, there have been times where guys have signed be- during the early signing period and then we didn't learn about it until February and or, or January. Jason Owe a few years ago, um, Devon Ellis, defensive tackle a-, a couple years ago. So something to keep tabs on there as well. But the transfer portal, Penn State has now gone on the record a couple times. James Franklin, head coach, Andy Frank, director of player personnel, saying they will be increasingly increasingly active on that transfer portal market. Um, and, and Franklin, as you said, specifically mentioned a couple positions, defensive back, defensive end. Of course, then all the replies on my, on my Twitter feed were, why didn't he say quarterback? If you thought James Franklin, with at least one game on his schedule and already kind of working his way out of a quarterback controversy conversation is going to say he's looking for a quarterback while giving the ball to Sean Clifford and Will Levis this Saturday in a Big Ten game. You're sorely mistaken in the way this man conducts his business as a program leader. Maybe quarterbacks in play there, maybe running backs in play there, but I thought it was notable to hear defensive back and defensive end. Defensive end, not so much of a surprise, um, but defensive back, uh, you know, they, they, they just saw Trent Gordon end up with Arkansas going out of the transfer portal. Um, you may lose a couple safeties there. Cornerback, it's it's a young, talented group beyond Castro Fields, who maybe he's back because of the injuries this year. Um, that was a little bit more uh, of a surprise to me, and, and he obviously didn't specify which position in that secondary. I think it's pretty clear it's safety, given what's uh, yeah. what's on the roster, unless you you know might maybe try and shuffle some guys around um, back there. But yeah, safety seems like the the most obvious choice um, when you also when you consider Jaquan Brisker accepted a uh, you know a, an invite to the Senior Bowl late last night. So that's uh, certainly one where you know you can use some immediate help. Uh, Jair Brown, of course, comes back. Tyler Rudolph's back. You lost. Trent Gordon, you want Brisker to come back, and that's still possible. I mean, he he accepted the invite, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's out the door. Enzo Jennings redshirted this year. Uh, John Sutherland is back. So, I mean, it's it, it's kind of one of those things where it's not a big surprise, um, but it, it, it's definitely those are the positions. Defensive end, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, this is one that we could have seen coming, even if Jason Away were to come back. I mean, that's a spot where you need numbers and doesn't really help very much that you only added one a guy that's probably not going to play as a true freshman as uh you know as in, in this 2021 class so defensive end is a spot where you could really use some help now the good news is defensive end has actually been a pretty fruitful position in the portal the last couple of years there's been some some edge rushers that you know have found themselves Quincy Roche had a really good year um you know that they've really found themselves at new homes actually Daniel Joseph did as well for NC State but that's another another story so um you know I think defensive end is a spot where you can you can be successful and you're right Franklin's not going to come out and say, um, I'm going to go after a quarterback here. It doesn't make any sense to do so. I mean, I, I 
firmly believe that they're going to look at the options there. And, and if they find somebody that, that fits that mold, I know Hendon Hooker went to the, the portal a couple of days ago from Virginia Tech. If they find somebody that fits the mold of what they're trying to do, it, it makes sense to do it. But to try and get him to acknowledge that they're going to go after a quarterback would be just uh, asinine at this point. And we've tried to hammer that point home, but I guess people are so angry, so upset, they're just not going to listen. If a quarterback has interest from Penn State, he's not tuning into this the signing day press conference uh, of James Franklin to find out that Penn State is interested in a quarterback. He'll he'll find out. He'll find out uh, a, a different way. There are other avenues than putting it out there publicly to let quarterbacks know you might be interested in them as a transfer. But Sean, this is a deal where there's going to be outgoing transfers that impact the uh, the wiggle room for Penn State. There's also the question of where do these seniors stand and where do the draft eligible players stand. Of course, the seniors who choose to come back they do not count against that 85 scholarship number. So, uh, for instance, if a Shane Simmons, a, 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 already a fifth year senior, decides to play a sixth year at Penn State. He's not going to be counted against that because of the NCAA rules that are set up. But Penn State does anticipate getting those kind of answers in the next couple of weeks. Those conversations are underway. So a lot to kind of learn about where things stand at different positions on, on this team. Maybe there'll be some surprises of seniors who elect to come back. Uh, and maybe there'll be some disappointment for the staff on those who say, I'm going to take a shot at the NFL, even though you don't think I'm quite ready to do that. So those are tough conversations, but they will ultimately lead to some clarity. Um, some notes on this class, as we said, uh, we, we there's a lot to talk. There's a lot to talk about some of the premier marquee names that that are not in this class, but it's a group that that has some serious four star uh, talent across the board, and particularly on the twenty four seven sports rankings, a lot of buzz shown about Lonnie White, which shouldn't be surprising. We, we've created a, plenty of that buzz on our own here on the on the Lions 24-7 podcast, um, you know, kind of feeding into that, rose to a four-star rating here with the 24-7 sports. Brian Doan scouted him in person this season, and, and you really like what you see uh, out of him. But, Sean, uh, James Franklin called Lonnie White because of the baseball situation, because of what they think he can be as a multi-sports star. By the way, a, a top 50 prospect evaluated by MLB.com just a few days ago. He says Lonnie White is our version of Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders. Well, hello there. Hello there, indeed. I mean, you, you look back at Tecmo Super Bowl and you think you can get a Bo Jackson or a Deion Sanders. You, you're in pretty good company. So uh, Lonnie White's obviously a guy that uh, you know has a ton of talent, has a ton of athletic ability, has a ton of potential in several sports. And I think that's you know that's obviously the million or multi-million dollar question with Lonnie White is what happens when baseball comes calling. I, I truly believe based on talking to to people around him, talking to people at Penn State, that he, that he wants to play football at Penn State. But until that money's in front of your face, I mean, you know, you're dangling those signing bonuses that, that baseball teams give these prospects. I mean, that that that's a tough decision for anybody. So I, I think they compensated for that in terms of taking three receivers this class. I do expect to see probably some movement in the transfer portal uh, outgoing. I think that's pretty obvious when you take a look at what that room consists of right now. But we're going to see what uh, what Lonnie White's made of. I, I'm in, incredibly high on him. Had him as the highest ceiling guy in, in the class right now because I think in terms of what he is right now to what he can potentially be on the football field, and that's you know not even taken to into account the baseball stuff. I just think uh, think a lot of Lonnie White, and I think that's why he ended up as our our top ranked guy in twenty four seven sports. He, he's got the high ceiling. Landon Tangwall's got a high ceiling as well. He's got the the high floor where he could potentially be ready to come in and play right away. Um, you know, as an offensive line which really doesn't happen too often. Obviously, the the parallels are there to a guy like Connor McGovern, although I think Tangwall is going to start out at offensive tackle. So, um, you know, I think they're, they're, they're pleased with 
you know, where they've, where they've got those uh, top of the class type guys. And it's been, you know, it's been kind of cool to watch, uh, watch that group to come together um, and sort of rise over time. And back to White momentarily, you look at what he brings as an athlete, sort of just kind of rose over time in the rankings, kind of like a guy like Khalil Dinkins, who's also just kind of pops on uh, on film. Khalil Dinkins was another guy who had the coaching staff buzzing a bit uh, in, in the last couple of days. They, they talked about seeing him play all over the field uh, during high school, uh, linebacker, uh, edge rusher, some direct snap stuff, and, and they just feel he's a really good fit for, for the kind of high floor, high ceiling guys that they, they want to bring in um, athletically. And, and, you know, Khalil Dinkins, uh, Tyler Bowen sounds like he's very much sold on him as a, as a member of that tight end room moving forward. But, uh, you know, I think that's a coaching staff that, that, depending on which position room you're in, there probably are some creative ideas on how to use Khalil Dinkins in the next four years of his Penn State career. Um, Landon Tengwall, the ability to enroll early there is going to be big for him. Uh, come in, push for some time. Uh, Nate Bruce also coming in early. They really liked what they saw from, from Nate Bruce in his final high school season. The one guy here that uh, that, that seemed like made the most strides, and, and this should be no surprise if you followed uh, Sean's comments uh, during the last few months, Kalen King. Uh, that's one where Terry Smith really said, Sean, they feel like what they saw on junior film versus what they saw on senior film. And mind you, they picked up his commitment several months before his senior film was available. They just felt like he made a tremendous leap. Um, this is a kid who, who made another leap in the, in the 24-7 sports rankings into that top 24-7 and, and into, into four-star territory uh, um, so solidly. Um, sounds like based on Terry Smith's uh, kind of feedback here, it's another expectation for an immediate impact freshman cornerback, which we saw last year, and, and I guess you'll get it again next year. Well, they'll play those guys, and they've shown that. They showed that uh, two years ago with Marquise Wilson and Keaton Ellis. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll bring in a freshman corner. If they think he's ready to play, they'll throw him out there. And, you know, I don't I don't know that he's going to take anybody's starting job, but, I mean, Kalen King's a heck of a football player. You look at the athletic profile that you've got with him. He's got that 395 shuttle on record, which is blazing fast. He's got the short area quickness that you – that they sort of really covet. And then on top of that, you put the film in, he's making plays on all, in all three facets. And, you know, is this a guy that helps them out as a kick returner? Is this a guy that, you know, can play in the nickel for you, can play corner for you? I don't see him playing offense, but he, he would have, he would be that type of potential. And then on top of that, you've got, uh, you know, his, his film is is not just the athletic and the athleticism just doesn't show up. He's got good instincts. He's got good football, you know, player, and that's been something that that has gotten away from them. And you look at his brother Kobe; it's kind of the same thing. He doesn't have the athleticism, doesn't have the the frame that you're looking for. I think he was uh, announced at six foot two thirty eight, which is a, is a Mike frame all the way. But I think he played both of those box spots. I believe I read this morning he was the Detroit area defensive player of the year. There's a lot of good players in, in Michigan. Jalen Reed was on that first team. Jamari Budden was on that first team. I assume Kalen King's going to be on the first team of the uh, of the offensive side. I think that comes out today. Uh, but no, K Kobe King's, as we mentioned, a guy that has grown on us through the, the process. Really, just you, you watch the tape and he finds the ball. He goes, gets the ball. He's got those instincts. And, you know, we've seen why Penn State has sort of shied away from recruiting those middle linebacker types and, you know, kind of see it every week with Ellis Brooks in terms of athleticism and, you know, just maybe missing the play just by a, a split second. You hope Kobe King can, you know, can continue to cultivate that athleticism and continue to be a guy that is on that arc. I um, saw what Terry Smith said, and you met, you, you referenced this, that, that, that Kobe King is a future captain at Penn State. That's also one of the things that um, you know, I was going to label him on my superlatives. I ended up going in a different direction with that. But 
Um, there's a lot to like about those uh, both both King brothers. Uh, not only good athletes, but also really good football players. Terry Smith felt like uh, Kobe King has future team captain potential, and and you know coming out of a program like Cast Tech and having that kind of season that he did, and it, it, being a leader in a program like that, that's a nice foundation for what may lie ahead of, of you at, at high level of college football. Um, we talked about the early enrollees, Tangwall, Bruce, uh, the King twins, a part of that. We had spoken about Zaki Wheatley being a, a part of that group. Um, he will not be going to be getting to campus uh, in, in late spring, as it turns out. But uh, Terry Smith says several paths potentially to the field for Zaki Wheatley. They love his versatility, uh, the athleticism there, and just feel like he's a guy uh, that could that could find a way on the safety, find a way at cornerback. Uh, find a way in different defensive packages. So I, I think you like to hear that versatility uh, from from one of the defensive backs. Uh, you got you got Jeffrey Davis, who's going to start out at cornerback. It didn't sound like Terry Smith w- was really going to dive in and say that's where he'll be for for his entire Penn State career. So some interesting defensive back additions, along with Jalen Reed, another guy who who kind of drew that uh, future team leader kind of mantle, and he's been pretty vocal on on uh, on social media during these last couple months, and and kind of rallying guys and and and, and being a. Clear committed member of this class and uh, just like we, we've mentioned a few times since his commitment Terry Smith brought up the name Marcus Allen who's one of only six Penn State players to surpass 300 tackles in his career was an all Big Ten safety of course for Penn State not too long ago and now a third year uh, Steelers linebacker and, and who started last Sunday that was the name that Terry Smith kind of went to when talking about Jalen Reed as a guy who can kind of fly downhill and be a bit of an enforcer out of that safety position. Um, so those are just some takeaways. We're going to have a long time to talk about this class. We do intend on getting a bunch of uh, a bunch of these guys, as many as possible, on with us throughout the winter into the spring, depending on when they're enrolling. We, we had a nice opportunity to do that with the 2020 class, I think. Kind of showed you who these, who these young men were as much as they were prospects as people. Um, so we hope to do that again. Uh, we've had a few of these guys on. Hope to hope to add to that list in the coming weeks and months. Sean, anything else you'd like to put on the table today uh, coming off of the early signing period before we turn our attention to this Illinois matchup? Not really. I do suggest you check out our signing day episode. We went into detail on a lot of these guys. Um, I, I will say, you know, it's it's certainly understandable and okay to be frustrated with this class. I think there's also a, a degree of understanding that comes with what, what goes with this. And, and Franklin tried to rationalize it the other day um, during his press conference talking about the visits. And I know this is something that we keep hearing over and over again as well. Nobody had visits. Nobody had the opportunity to to get guys on campus. And, that, and that's true. But as usual, there's shades of gray. I mean, recruiting is, is far from black and white. You've got opportunity or examples um, all over the country. State College is out there, man. That's that's something that people see, can't seem to accept that that, that really – I mean, I, I look at it like, uh, you know, I live here all year round. I love it here. It's fantastic. Uh, but when do people visit me? When do people come into town? It's just for football. So you need a reason to come to State College, Pennsylvania. And – it, you know, with no other schools that are, you know, within striking distance. I mean, Maryland's a couple hours away. Rutgers a couple hours away. Pitt's a couple hours away. It's not like you're in Ann Arbor or in Columbus where you get a chance to to do these tours. I mean, Penn State's usually the outlier on a tour for a kid that comes out of, out of uh, you know, say, I think Brock Bowers last year was a good example. I think he went to um, Notre Dame and he went to Wisconsin. He went to a couple different schools and that's a big loop. Um, but Penn State was right on the tail end of that. So that's the kind of thing that you've been dealing with this entire cycle is that not only can you not visit Penn State, but Penn State's not exactly an appealing place to go 
on its own. You know, that you've got to get in there, you've got to get that feel and all that kind of stuff. And that's different with an official visit. It's different when you have camps to work around or, you know, you you know the team's going to be on campus, you know the coaches are going to be on campus, you've got things to work with. Um, when you're just visiting essentially in the middle of a pandemic, for example, um, that's something tough to deal with because you're not going to get, I mean, you look at, at other schools that have been able to get these weekends together where their commits come together. I mean, State College is, is far from a central location, and that's been something that's really tough to deal with, um, especially when you're going up against the top guys in college football that are trying to, or they're a little bit more centrally located. For those just diving into the recruiting world, Take a peek forward. Penn State carries the number two class nationally for the 2022 cycle. All seven commits are four-star talents uh, in the evaluation uh, right now for the composite. So uh, the recruiting world rolls on. We're not done with this class yet. The portal's going to have its say as well as this roster comes together for the next Penn State year. But this year ain't done. Usually we're, we're ready to turn the page almost entirely, maybe talk about a bowl game by the time we get to the early signing period. It is a Big Ten game week. Uh, let's all remember that here in snowy Happy Valley. Uh, Illinois, Penn State coming up on Saturday. Right now we're going to get into it with a reporter who covers the Illini, Joey Wagner. That conversation up next, followed by our final thoughts on the matchup, along with predictions from Sean and I, and a quick dive into our five-star mailbag. Stay with us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, it's week nine in the Big Ten. Not a lot of games left on the schedule here. We've seen three cancellations across the conference. One that is still on the books for now is in Beaver Stadium, 530 kickoff between Penn State and Illinois. Um, Illinois was a program that we have not seen Penn State play since uh, back in 2018 when when the Nittany Lions made a trip there for a Friday night matchup that uh, turned into a second-half blowout. But different circumstances for both teams this time around, and to help us dive into those circumstances, uh, we welcome Joey Wagner from the Decatur Herald and Review. Joey, first and foremost, thank you. I know it's been a very busy week on your beat, so we appreciate the time you're giving us here. Hey, no problem at all. Thanks for having me. It's been a... Uh been a weird week with, with a coaching change and a couple blowout losses and a top 15 basketball team. A lot's going on in Champaign, only probably half of it, I, I think, has been promising over the last seven days. Let's start with that coaching change because I think the hiring of Lovey Smith turned a lot of heads. Not only was he a, a, quite a success at the NFL level as a head coach, but he did it in Illinois as the Chicago Bears head coach going to a Super Bowl, you know, some 14 years ago at this point, but a name that certainly must have resonated very well when he was hired. Why was this the choice for Illinois at this stage of his tenure and with the game still left on the schedule? Well, I think Josh Whitman wanted to get out in front of this coaching change. And if you look around the power five, Auburn's open, Arizona's open, those, I think, are two different markets than what Illinois is looking at in terms of a coach. So really, in terms of Power 5 jobs, Illinois is kind of standing on its own in terms of the candidates it's looking for, especially here you know, in the Midwest ties. So I think Josh wanted to be out there, wanted to make this happen. 
without a lot of competition, didn't want to, you know, we don't know. We, we think with the pandemic that not a lot of jobs are, are going to be changing. That's really not proven to be entirely the case over the course of the last week. But I, I think right now, Illinois, like I said, on its own, they're the selling a recruiting, uh, you know, foundation here, Chicago, St. Louis, Indianapolis, they've got this new facility and it's like, Hey, listen, you know, there's not a lot of options and this is a pretty good option. If you look at it, I know the record on the field and the kind of really sustained record hasn't been particularly good, but I think you try to tell someone, Hey, we trust you. You trust yourself to believe and look at what you've got to make this happen. So I think this just made sense for Josh to, to get a move on. The timing was really, really awkward, right? I mean, the game against Penn state is this coming up. So now Illinois flying across the country with really nothing, you know, there's nothing on the back end of this game. We don't think like I, but the only bowl game reason that can be discussed is because literally anybody can make a bowl game. But I think anybody who's looking at this with a sense of reality recognizes that that's probably not going to be the case for Illinois. You got an interim coach flying across the country, and then you had National Signing Day and the early signing period. And you have kids, 14 kids, who signed with no coach. So I think Josh recognized that, look, this is going to be an awkward phase here. But I think that the benefits of getting the guy he wanted, and he's been moving really, really quietly with this. So getting the guy that he wanted, I think, kind of outweighed this awkward week of what this is going to be. So I, you're right. Lovey, was a, Lovey is a good man. I mean, I don't think anybody who's interacted with him would say otherwise. But the reality is this is a results-driven business, and Lovey just didn't win enough here. The recruiting never really got off to that 100 miles an hour like I think people thought it was going to especially in-state. In-state recruiting had been really disappointing. His first class was good, and really you could look at the offensive line when it was healthy. That was a lot of his first class, and it's like, oh, okay, this is this is what they were talking about when you, you can say, hey, love, you go in the living room in the state of Illinois, and you're going to win a lot of people over, and it did work, and then it slowed down, and, and Lovey did have success in some of those southern states, the Floridas, the Georgias, the, you know, that area, Texas, but the just didn't really ever fully take that step. And this year they thought they were going to take that step. And two months ago, this team thought, Hey, we've got all these seniors. You know, I know the pandemic's really weird, but we really believe that we were taking our lumps and boy, was it hard those years going two and 10 and four and eight, but look, we're better because of this and we're ready to win. And the Wisconsin game was a blowout. But even that came with, well, it's Wisconsin. Thompson and boy, what, what do we know? This Graham Mertz might light the world on fire this year. And then the, you know, the COVID cases happened and Brandon Peters is out three weeks and you got a couple, a handful of people with contact tracing and it just never really got off to what they thought. And the, the losses have been short of Purdue have really been uncompetitive and non-competitive rather. And that that's just the, the product on the field just wasn't there with what we thought it was going to be. Lovey Smith goes head coach of the Chicago Bears to the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then head coach here there at Illinois and the first few years three wins two wins four wins last year Illinois made some noise a four and five conference record may not sound great but it, it was their best mark under Lovey Smith they got to the a bowl game in the postseason they finished at 500 during the regular season they certainly seem to be maybe turning a corner what has been, in your evaluation, the cause for for a letdown of a 2020 campaign through these seven games? Well, I think, and I touched on it a little bit, we have to put in the caveat of COVID and losing Brandon Peters for three games didn't do any favors. 
and some of the contact tracing, but really the offense just never, never made that jump. I think coming in, it's like, okay, Brandon Peters year two with Rod Smith and there's a comfort. And that was the whole thing is like, Brandon's comfortable here and not really a knock at his personality. It's just, it takes a little bit, right. To get comfortable in a new place and you're meeting new people and learning what new coaches want. So I think that was kind of, everybody thought, well, okay, you know, you got this veteran offensive line, but it just never, never got going offensively and defensively. I mean, this was Lovey's calling card and it, it just wasn't good. And it was, you know, the takeaways really hide a lot of warts and they did a good job of forcing takeaways and really flipping momentum on its head that way. But you look and I just, you know, I looked again this morning and they're last in the big 10 in total defense and really by 20 yards. And it's, they just never got that and injuries had hurt them defensively. But at this point in year five, the talk was, well, we have more depth now. That's what they told us. You know, there's beyond our, we like our frontline guys, but there's depth beyond it. And then eventually they've kind of a ran out of depth and B proved that maybe there wasn't as much depth as they thought they had coming in. And you just, it was just kind of a, a combination of so much of, you know, offense not moving and defense just really couldn't couldn't get stopped. I mean, there just seemed like teams ran at will at times in the course of the passing game. I mean, I, I think Illinois may have sent four or five Iowa tight ends to the league just in the fact that they didn't cover the seam and, and just all sorts of – just didn't take the big jump, I think, that we thought they would take. Giving up a lot of yards on the ground per game, and do you believe that is just a mismatch waiting to be exploited by the Nittany Lions on Saturday? Yeah, I think so. And again, it comes back a little bit to injuries. And first of all, we should be clear, Illinois haven't been particularly great against the run. They've shown flashes, but then injuries start to pile up and Kalon Tolson didn't play last week. Their linebacker, who I thought had a really, really nice season, he was out. It looked, didn't really look good coming off the field against Iowa and Tariq Barnes, who had a, you know, kind of a revelation early on this uh, sophomore linebacker, he's out. So you start to get into like walk-on territories at linebackers. They're missing their defensive tackles against Northwestern. And, and I should, you know, be a little more clear. We didn't really, probably a fault on our end, Sunday and Monday or Monday and Tuesday, when we talked to interim coach Rod Smith and I guess interim defensive coordinator, Jimmy Lindsay, that's probably on us because we didn't ask a lot of the, Hey, who's hurt. Who's not questions. It was, Hey, wow, this seems kind of messy. Right. And what's going on there. So we don't, and I don't know if they would have radically changed their philosophy of letting us know about injury. Lovey sure was not interested in doing that. So I I don't really know what that looks like from an injury front. And now as I sat here throughout the week, I thought, Oh boy, we don't, don't know as much as I'd hoped to know here. But I think just looking at last week and yeah, I think that's a mismatch just as injuries pile up and we'll, we'll see if Jimmy Lindsay changes anything. I mean, four days doesn't really give you a lot of time to, to have widespread defensive changes here. So I'm really curious to see if, if they do anything differently or if it's just, hey, this is what you guys know. Go out there, have some fun and let's get out of the snow as, you know, <laughs> as quickly as we can here. Let's circle back to that quarterback spot. You talked a lot about Brandon Peters missing action. 
a guy who went to, to Michigan with, with significant amount of fanfare. He was one of Jim Harbaugh's early targets there. And at the quarterback position, everyone was paying close attention. Uh, ends up elsewhere in the Big Ten, heads to Illinois. Find some success last year, but this year uh, it seems like it's been hard to come by. We've also seen some Isaiah Williams mixed in. It's been kind of a common theme for us covering Penn State this year. Is not just we're watching quarterback competition in the season here, but it seems like almost every week we're not quite sure who's going to be at quarterback and when they're going to be at quarterback for the opposing team. Can you shed some light on maybe what should we, we should anticipate from Peters, Williams, both this Saturday in Beaver Stadium? Yeah, that's a really good question. And again, it's one of those I wish we would have uh, probably dug into a little more with Rod. Brandon hasn't, Brandon Peters hadn't been very good against Iowa and Northwestern. And Isaiah Williams came in late and gave a spark. And anybody who's watched Rod Smith's offense before, that first year he gets here, he had A.J. Bush. I think that may have been the Friday night game you were alluding to earlier. I think that was the last time they were here. And A.J. Bush with his running ability and he could throw it a little bit. That's kind of like the offense that people saw to Rod Smith. And Brandon's a far more talented thrower and he's able to run, but it just didn't really ever feel like that was the match made in heaven. It just felt like it was the best match available at the time. So with Rod at the helm, I don't know if he says, look, you know, this kid is, I don't even want to, you know, whatever Illinois future is, is Rod a part of that? We don't know. I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine a head coach coming in and, you know, keeping the offensive coordinator. So does he say, listen, it's, this is Isaiah. He's, you know, he's more interesting to, and I don't even say interesting, but for the future, you know, let's see what he is and what kind of player he is. And frankly, he's probably been the better quarterback in, in the last two weeks. And I recognize he's going against defenses that are up by a million and, you know, kind of probably even in the second string a little bit, but I, I wouldn't be, it's always kind of clunky trying to put the two together dating back to the season opener against Wisconsin. It, you know, Brandon had admitted like, I knew we had a package, but I didn't know he was going to play that much. And when he said that, I think all of us kind of looked at each other and was like, oh, this doesn't seem like it, uh, it It worked quite as well as we thought. And, and frankly, Isaiah was really good against Rutgers. And his passing is obviously still a work in progress. I, I, I kind of lean just in my gut, and, and I haven't really talked to anybody, but it's hard for me to imagine not seeing a, a pretty fair bit of Isaiah Williams this week just because – He's been pretty good the last two weeks, and he really probably beyond that. But yeah, I don't know. I I know they have a lot of respect for Brandon, but I mean the numbers just don't really get it done after that first probably the first three drives against Iowa two weeks ago. Williams brings that uh, dual threat. The the rushing totals have been impressive at times uh, during our glimpses of him. When we look at that offense, though, just the total. Total gut punch for them this week and learning that jo- Josh Imator Bebe would be heading to the NFL draft and seeing what he did at Illinois last year, nine touchdowns, three more scores this year through the first seven games for him to step aside now and, and, and focus on his NFL future. And where does that kind of leave Illinois picking up the pieces? Who were the main components on offense outside of quarterback and how devastating do you think this is for a team that has to go on the road uh, on Saturday? Well, it's devastating in the sense that he's their best wide receiver and pretty pretty much going away. So we'll see more of Casey Washington. We'll see more of Brian Hightower. Those are two guys who have, who have really played a pretty good amount this year anyway. And you know, I, I don't, frankly, really know much more beyond those two. The slot, they're much deeper, I think, in the slot with Donnie Navarro and, and Kyron Cumbie. And, we'll, you know, we'll see how 
how that works out. But I, I would look for a lot of Casey Washington and Brian Hightower on the outside. But it, it's the part that is kind of weird to say this is maybe it's not too devastating because the passing game just really hasn't been taking off. And, you know, you feel for Josh because I, I thought he could – look, we've seen he's got all the skills in the world, right? I and mean, he's a really good wide receiver. But he just frankly, especially when Brandon missed three games – just didn't really have a quarterback to consistently get him the ball. Then, you know, Brandon comes back against Nebraska and it's just like, boom, boom, boom. He matter baby over and over. And it's like, yeah, this is, you know, this is kind of what we thought we were going to see this year. So it hurts. I mean, losing him out there hurts. He's, he's a big body. He's sure handed. That's going to, that's going to handcuff him a little bit. The, the running game is what this is all about here though. And especially I think with the passing game, just not going on. Chase Brown has been really an eye-opener. I mean, he sat out most of last year. He, he got eligibility and played a little bit, maintained his red shirt. He transferred from Western Michigan. He's the twin brother of safety, Sidney Brown. And I think he's probably the most skilled running back that they have. He, he's really – he's explosive. He's strong. He's shifty. He, he can break through some tackles. And Mike Epstein coming back from injury has been a good story around here. That that kid's been through an awful lot in terms of season injuries and and fighting back from those. So those have been the guys really getting a lot. We've seen a little bit more of true freshman Reggie Love and out of St. Louis. He was a guy who's a really good get for them. And and it sounds like Rob Smith has really sung his praises this year. And the the more we see him, I think the more we see that, hey, this kid's a pretty good running back. I really, it's kind of hard for me to imagine they don't just try to run it until either it's proven that it cannot work or eventually Penn State stops it. But yeah, I mean, you got to throw it at some point, right? And they, Casey Washington, I, I've been high on him since I first saw him at wide receiver. We'll see what he looks like. Brian Hightower, the transfer from Miami, has been pretty good. But it's, it's, to me, it's all about the run. Yeah, I expect to see Illinois try to establish that. They've, they've you know had success. Brown and Epstein, both over five and a half yards per carry. Going into this matchup, what is your expectation, and, and are you ready to serve us up with the prediction for the score? Well, the expectation is I think they're going to run the heck out of the ball, and I don't know if they're going to – Penn State's got some nice weapons, right, at wide receiver, and I, their little brother, the, the freshman Washington, is the little brother of Illinois' uh, director of high school relations – so and he's awfully talented, as I understand it. And Illinois is going to be down Nate Hobbs. He's still going to be out with contact tracing after Tony Adams tested positive for COVID-19. So obviously Tony Adams is going to be out. So it's going to be a depleted secondary. So for a secondary that didn't get a lot of stops to begin with, and you're missing your two, two seniors, is going to be tough. I don't know that a score, I've got a score prediction. I think Penn State's going to win. I think Penn State's probably going to win by a couple scores. Um I just think this, you know, we'll see. Maybe this Illinois team comes out fired up and ready to roll, but I think eventually the injuries are going to play in. And it's just been a tough week. I mean, Rod Smith said it's been a roller coaster. Emotions were still really raw on Monday. Granted, that was Monday and a day after Lovey got fired. But this is this is a long trip. I mean, I know it's not a, a long in the sense of you know, it's only an hour or whatever flight, but it's a lot to to get to get up for here when it's pretty clear that this is it and. You, you factor in the weight of of what COVID ha- has just put mentally on these kids this year in terms of, you know, creating quasi bubbles and 5 a.m. testing and, you know, j- losing guys. And I, I think this is, you know, Lovey was just kind of the, the, the end of what's just been a really mentally taxing year. 
I, I just I, I think Penn State wins. I, I don't have the exact score. Uh, I'm sorry, I wish I did, but I, I think by a couple scores. Well, Joey, we really appreciate your insight, and we we look forward to your coverage at the Decatur Herald and Review, and see how it plays out. See how Illinois is is, is ready to finish this season or, or not ready to finish this season. But regardless, thank you so much for for giving us the lowdown on on where things stand with the squad right now. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, moving on from that commentary from Joey, which we really appreciated. Uh, Sean, that to summarize, kind of confirms my sentiments. I think that Illinois is the weakest opponent based on where they are right now, talent-wise, health-wise, Leadership wise, the weakest opponent that Penn State has faced this season. Um, I, I, we'll get to our predictions, but really think it would be inexcusable for Penn State not to pick up win number four in a row this this Saturday. So you're saying it's going to be a close one? Is that what you're saying? Sure, sure. Yeah, based on everything else we've learned in 2020, absolutely. I will apply none of that to this game and assume it will go down to the wire. Yeah, so we'll be watching for stuff. I mean, I I, I would not think that anybody would feel you know that Illinois has anything to play for it like it, it's kind of that that point in the in the year where you're like kind of surprised this game's still happening given what's everything that's going on out there but uh yeah we'll be watching uh 5:30 kickoff time from Beaver Stadium uh, a couple things to watch closely i mean we we saw a bunch of absences last week Jason Away was out of there uh, Tariq Castrofields obviously has been out for quite a few weeks Devin Ford was not uh it was kind of a mystery last week and uh and CJ Thorpe uh, James Franklin confirmed this week a, a medical set back for him do we see more of juice uh what you know just or you just wonder how this game flow is going to influence how many guys that we see on saturday so i i would i would hope it would be more you would hope that penn state you know can sort of put the foot on the neck and and and, and do the rest but uh as we've seen in 2020 it's been kind of the opposite of everything we've expect so we'll, we'll, we'll watch for that i'd like to see you know you mentioned a little bit earlier kevon lee um he's got an opportunity for you know a, a big game penn state should be able to run the ball i do expect penn state to run the ball a lot i kind of expect the same kind of uh, game plan that we've seen the last couple of weeks where they're just going to do what they can running the ball to get the, to get the job done. It sounds like you've got a, a sad or impatient dog. So I'm going to, I'll pick up the conversation uh, from there and, and yeah, I'll, I'll say Illinois looks like they're ready to get gashed on the ground by this Penn state squad, uh, Penn state um, and wins over Rutgers and Michigan state. Both times go over, I think 240 yards on the ground, uh, or not Michigan state Rutgers and Michigan, not, not as much of effectiveness uh, from the running back position against Michigan state, but you saw Sean Clifford go off for a long distance touchdown. You saw Will Levis rack up those yards, a lot, a lot of carries for him. Uh, but yeah, I think this is Kevon Lee's opportunity to really put a punctuation mark on what has been a strong second half of the big 10 schedule uh, for the freshmen uh, go out 
out there and 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 what you know I, I think it's probably fair to lean toward anticipating that if he gets his full dose of work that he could end up back over 100 yards uh you know he was almost there against Rutgers I think five yards shy and of course went well over 100 on the road at Michigan this is an Illinois team that you know you heard it from Joey there uh they are depleted in a lot of ways the defense was already lackluster but because of some of this COVID testing and, and some of the contact tracing uh, they're going to be short short-handed in the defensive secondary which going up against this Penn State wide receiver group it, that does not make things any easier because Illinois has, has been really bad against the run they haven't been very good against the pass either which is a tough combination and kind of tells the story for them that leads me to Jahan Dotson who in his last five home games has reached the end zone in some form or fashion last week it was via punt return he's gone over 90 plus uh, receiving yards in, in every game in Beaver Stadium this season I like his chances to really extend both of those stats, Sean. And uh, will this be the final home game for Jahan Dotson? That we don't know, but we do know he has asserted himself as an all Big Ten receiver this year, one of the most productive receivers uh, in this conference, and helps that he's had you know the most games played in this conference, essentially, among receivers. But uh, really like what you've seen from him. And, and then the young pass targets. Maybe, you know, who who's going to show a little something here as the season comes to a close. Parker Washington Washington has already shown plenty, um, something that was brought up a little bit there by Joey, but during the uh, the, the signing day press conference with James Franklin is that uh, across the way there for the for Illinois, part of their staff uh, is, is Parker's older sister. So kind of a cool situation there. Um, maybe a little extra motivation, but I don't think he really needs it. He's been on a roll this season. Uh, he did not win Big Ten Freshman of the Year, by the way, uh, that that was announced uh, this week going to a Northwestern defensive back. Um, but I, I think it, it's fair to say that he has uh, kind of put out the the word that he is going to be a force to deal with when facing Penn State the next few years. Beyond him, though, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Brenton Strange, uh, Theo Johnson. I think out of those three, you can say that Brenton Strange is, has found his footing over recent weeks, replacing Pat Frymuth in the starting lineup. He's had some stretches where he's been highly involved. Would be a great sign to see Theo Johnson, you know, who, who's been impressive and physical uh, through his first few games of extensive action, get a little bit involved a, as that pass target. And Keandre Lambert Smith, you know, we've we've seen some things here and there, three catch games, but nothing that that's going to really wow you to this point. Is this a game where, where he kind of uh, launches off a bit? I think because of this defense they're going against, because of the talent gap there, um, there's a chance we could see, you know, some some flashes from these young players. And I think that's really what this game is in a lot of ways for me, Sean, about not only is it seeing who, what veterans are available and who maybe is finishing up their career, but when you're finishing the year four and five, you, you want to continue to see those glimpses of the future. And, and, and we've, we've seen it from guys like Kevon Lee and Parker Washington and defensively, Sean, you know, throw Brandon Smith, Adiza Isaac, Akeem Beeman into that mix. These are guys that you hope are foundational members offensively, defensively of the 2021 Penn State roster. And we've been talking about what things are going to look like in 2021 for a while. And considering this is the finale of the conference and we don't know if there'll be another game to cover this year, that's going to remain in in kind of the the spotlight for me at least. I'll throw Curtis Jacobs in that defensive right. mix yeah, as sure. well. Also, Washington has a chance to win freshman of the year next year too. So, uh, you know, he could, he <laughs> try could again. make it certainly, certainly try again. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like a lot of things that we've said in the last couple of weeks ring true for Illinois. 
not built for a comeback. Obviously, we said the same thing about Michigan State. They were obviously not built to hold a lead either. Um, you know, just talent wise, uh, mentality. Yeah, you just got to wonder where those Illinois players are at right now. Um, you know, do you go out and you, you know, do, do you make the big swing for the interim head coach or you just kind of give up? Given how everything's given or gone so far in 2020, you, you certainly couldn't blame them for going uh, the latter direction on that. And, and they, of course, are missing some players as well. And and the quarterbacks a question. Of course, the interim coach here and and Rod Smith it, is the offensive coordinator, so it's not like uh, you would expect a major shakeup in how he's going to use those quarterbacks. But at the same time, it's really hard to get a read on how he has used those quarterbacks. This has been a, a pretty much a theme of the year for Penn State is going up against an opponent, and we're not really sure what you're going to get. Last week, that second quarter scared the heck out of you with Peyton Thorne at Michigan State. Um, aside from that, pretty well bottled up and, and did not really do well. Um, in, in this game, Isaiah Williams, he has that the rushing threat that can scare you. He almost went for 200 rushing yards in a win over Rutgers earlier this season. Brandon Peters, I mean, overall, you look at his body of work back to Michigan through this game, just not really a lot of signs that he's a guy that's going to step up and, and go out there and, and, and control a game and, and, and really, you know, Know, you know, be some kind of force at the quarterback position, which, you know, going back to his recruiting days, remember covering him coming out of, of Indiana, he was a big pickup for Jim Harbaugh. People were kind of saying, is you know, he's looking for the next Andrew Luck and, and could this could be it? And it's been kind of the, the theme for them in Ann Arbor is the quarterback not really materializing through the recruiting trail or through the transfer portal. And Brandon Peters has come out the other side at Illinois. He's down his top target, and, and Josh Imator Bebe, a, a guy that I've been tracking for a very long time, uh, started out at Southern Cal, went to Illinois, 12 touchdowns since last year. He's not on the field for Illinois. Uh, there's just there's not a lot of things that you can point to and say, this is why Penn State fans should be scared, which of course means that it's going to be a scary game. I think the running game, if they can get that going with Chase Brown, Mike Epstein, Joey talked about that. They're at 5.5 yards plus per carry over the course of this season. Um, but but really, Sean, it's just it's it's hard to find any flashes of why this game should be a struggle for Penn State. But it's been difficult to apply logic at any point through this nine game schedule. And and by the way, Penn State, you know, knock on wood here, we're what uh, thirty hours away from kickoff as we record this. If they go nine for nine here, that is truly rare territory. We have seen three games go off the schedule here for Big Ten Champion Week. We'll find out if the Big Ten title game is in any sort of jeopardy and what a mess that might be. Um, but you know, six teams in the Big Ten at least are not playing this week. And just to kind of give you a, 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 something that sums it up perfectly, I think since you saw Maryland come to town here and put on a big breakout performance for their program, they've only played twice in six weeks. Well, getting back to Illinois real quick, 48% passes or 48% of their passes have been completed this year, which is going to make it all the more fascinating whenever which quarter whichever quarterback has their Heisman like day and just starts dropping dimes all over the field. So, uh keep that in mind. It's going to be a lot about the running game and as, as we said, the you know, if they can't run the football, they they they've been in trouble this year. So, it's uh it's one of those things where Penn State you should expect a Penn State win. I'm I'm curious to see how they coach it, how they handle the uh the game plan, how you know, if we keep seeing a lot of Levis, a lot of Clifford you know, you know, in and out and, and, and leaning on the run game. I mean, I, I think you can throw on this team. I, I do think you can run on this team as well. So, I mean, it's not, you mentioned it earlier, their, their, their forte is not stopping the run or stopping the pass. So that's kind of a, it's kind of a bad place to be as a defense. I have Penn State winning 27 to 10. I'm, 
you know, it's kind of, it, it's December, it's week nine, whatever. Um, is this prediction mailed in? Maybe a little bit, but I, I you know, it's just, you don't see a ton of confidence. Penn State put up a bunch of points last week for the first time in a long time. But at the same time, you just wonder, you know, how quick this game is going to go, how much they're going to run the ball, how much they're going to sort of go into that shell where they're doing enough to, to beat the opponent. Um, theoretically with Illinois, it should not be that much. So I, I don't have it as a, as a very high scoring game. I've got the same. I think it's the second straight week. We're on the same margin, but different score. I got 34 to 17 Penn State winning. Now, this was before uh, Josh Emator Bebe uh, declared himself for the draft and pulled himself out of this one. So 17 might seem a bit high for Illinois. But then again, I, I think I said last week that, that maybe 13 was too high for Michigan State and they scored 21 in the second quarter. So I'll stick with 34 17. Mark Brennan goes a little bit higher with Penn State, 35 14 uh, win over Illinois. So so we all have them covering that spread, which last I saw was about 14 and a half. And that's the second straight week. It's been in that ballpark. Don't quote me on that. That's that's going back to Monday. That may have shifted over the course of some of the news that has surfaced from Illinois over the course of this week. But uh, Penn State, a, a two touchdown plus favorite for the second straight week. And considering where they were at 0-5, um, that, that, that's an interesting place to get here in mid-December. And it's quite frankly, uh, Beaver Stadium is an interesting place for us to be in mid-December watching football. That's the way it's gone this year. As James Franklin said earlier this week, you get through this game, then you have another conversation about what may await this program next. Of course, next week is Christmas, but you also may have a bowl game on the schedule. There's a lot of discussion about whether that is or is not feasible, and, and if this program is going to go pursue it, maybe try to go finish the season with a 500 mark. Sean, by the way, last time Penn State won its final four games in the conference, 2016, which finished, of course, with a Big Ten championship run. Very different look to, to this campaign in the conference, um, but but there's a, a stat that may surprise some. Um, been four years since, since they did that, and four and five, if we told you in October, that's a really ugly outcome. Four and five, if we told you Thanksgiving week when this team was 0 and 5. You'll take it. It hasn't been pretty. It hasn't been flashy. You've seen some positive momentum in certain areas of the field. And a win is a win and is a win. And if you can get four of them together here, it gives you something. It gives you something that you were sorely lacking in the end of November, Sean. And, and that simply is some momentum and, and feeling good about yourself. And that matters, I think, going into this offseason. And, and you're going to see roster turnover and you're going to see maybe some coaches to explore other opportunities. We don't know what that will look like, but for the program you got some momentum, and it sure didn't look like there were any signs of it just a month ago. Yeah, sometimes it's just best to apply direct pressure to the wound and worry about stitching it up later. And I think that that's uh, you know four and five, uh, obviously not the the season anybody envisioned if they indeed get there on Saturday. But it, it's it's certainly um, something to to take a little bit of confidence coming out in, into the off season. Uh, real quick before we get out of here, uh, before the mailbag, more all Big Ten stuff uh, on on Wednesday. This list kind of hit. From nowhere, really. We talked about that. I think that on Tuesday with the offensive team coming out, you got two first team defense, uh, all Big Ten defensive ends, both by the coaches and media. That's interesting because, you know, we thought, you know, we, we, we thought that Jason Away has played pretty well this year. He hasn't put up the numbers to go with it, but in terms of, you know, uh, getting pressure, getting tackled, you know, just playing playing found, uh, sound fundamental football, we thought he was better. I, I didn't know he was going to be first team, but the coaches seem to think so. And with no sacks, the media seem to think so. So it says a little bit about the Big Ten, but at the same time, I think uh, you know it's pretty cool for both those guys to land on the first team. I think Owe was second team media, but regardless, both guys, I mean, the coaches are picking Penn State's edge rushers as the, the first team guys across the conference. 
Um, I, I think Jason Oway is going to be a really hard one for people to wrap their heads around this year in general, particularly if they see him leave early for the NFL draft because they're going to see that big zero in the sack column. And you know, I, for one, was expecting a, a, a pretty large number there, but the QB pressures, he, he ranks among the best in the conference. It just has not equated to sacks. It, it, you know, He's got some tackles for loss. He's been a disruptor. He was absent last week. We'll see if he plays this week. But um, that, that first team all Big Ten uh, comes for Jason Away, a kid who's you know in his third year of of, of uh, focusing in on that position really fully, and we'll see if it ultimately you know if he heads to the NFL. It'll be very strange for for people to kind of digest if he ends up being a, a high NFL pick because of what he can do in the combine and what people maybe have seen on film from the last couple of years, and then you know kind of stacking that up against his stat sheet and and what he actually did uh, impact wise on the field for Penn State during his career. A fa- pretty fascinating career if it comes to it. And Shaka Tony, as you said, first team selection on both ends. Joey Porter Jr. is a third team pick by the uh, by the media. Uh, J- Lamont Wade, a third team pick by the media. And then Jaquan Brisker, a third team pick by the coaches. No linebackers uh, involved here. Brandon Smith was an honorable mention. Uh, honorable mention also going to PJ Mustafer and Antonio Shelton at defensive tackle. Uh, Tariq Castro Fields, which you know he's only played two and a half games this year, got an honorable mention but brisker going back to that real quickly sean this this one surfaced on thursday evening accepted an invitation to the senior bowl uh that seems like a strong indication to me it may not nail it down uh that that he's gonna move on after his two years at penn state probably been maybe the most debated guy in terms of does it make sense for him to stick around for an extra senior season uh build off what he has done here late in the season but two years at, at, at the junior college level, uh, maybe chomping at the bit to, to take to take the plunge and and see what he can do at the professional level. Yeah, I stand by what I said. I think after the game the other day is that I think uh, coming back for a year would serve him well. Don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. And and him accepting a senior bowl uh, berth or whatever you want to call it, not necessarily the be all end all of him going. Uh, it's not, it's not necessarily a great sign either, but yeah, I mean, he's, uh, that one's not a done deal, but yeah, that's, that's a, you know, a cool thing. I think he's played better again than most people have, have said. It, it's interesting to me, uh, and this is not considering brisker, but like the, the influence that pro football focus may have on the voting these days. And it's not just saying that, you know, they're going out and stumping for any players, but if you look across the media teams, I mean, that's really how you're watching a lot of these guys anymore is trying to get those scores and see if how these guys come up. You see, Lamont Wade on the third team uh, for the media. I mean, that's I, that's a, a head scratcher there. But um, you know, it's been it's been really interesting to see how these teams have come together, especially when you've got uh, when you take into a conference how the how the um, the the conference has just kind of been all over the map this year. Um, but but I do think Brisker's played better than than most people will give him credit for. The safeties, um, you know, have not been great, um, but they've they've come around and been more solid. I don't think they've had anybody, you know kind of going at them like Indiana and Ohio State did to start the year. But at the same time, uh, you're seeing less Lamont Wade on, uh, you know, slot guys and things like that. So I think that that has certainly helped um, the, the the presence of the safeties this year. But um, yeah, I mean, for for what we've seen on both sides of the ball in the conference, I mean, there's, there's a couple of head scratchers in there. But, you know, at the end of the day, very cool uh, recognition here. Shaka Tony probably going to be one of the more underappreciated players ever to come through here. Um, you know, he certainly has put up numbers at times, disappeared at times, but you know, he's been, I think he's been a pretty good solid player. I think he's better than the one trick pony that a lot of people will give him credit for. 
Joey Porter Jr., the the one Penn State freshman uh, to get all Big Ten status and uh, capping off a year when he's going to head into his redshirt sophomore season with a major expectations about what could await him in 2021. Uh, by the way here, Sean, uh, however they got there, why, why they got there, Penn State can go out there say that they got 11 all big 10 players uh here in 2020 that's something you can put on on a recruiting brochure you know it at the end of the day you may disagree with some of these picks and people out there may actually be frustrated because what they saw over the season doesn't match up with who landed on all conference teams but it helps the program it helps the program when you get guys on all big 10 conference teams however they get there sometimes the names don't even matter you can say 11 penn state players earned all big 10 distinction in 2020 it's it's something to sell, and and when you're coming off a four and five season, you're a little bit more anxious to find those things to sell and uh, some, some especially help. especially at, at a spot like defensive end where you need help right away. You say, hey, we had yeah. two first team all all conference picks last year. Now they're both gone, or one of them's gone. You know, you've got an opportunity to sell that. So something a little bit of uh, of cachet there for John Scott to work with. So and you um, filter out one on the offensive line. Four guys, whether you agree with it or not, four of his offensive linemen after five last year at Boston College get get some all-conference recognition and you know that helps you yeah absolutely any positives they can take from it and that's the theme of the five-star mailbag um question about positives which we don't get in the mailbag all that often because you know we get them from the internet but from a positive standpoint which penn state storyline stood out to you the most from this 2021 signing day there's two right here um that i will look at and, and we'll kind of gloss over the one because we already talked about it but Keeping those guys committed, you know, through an 0 and 5 start, through uh, uh, not being able to get these guys on campus, having those guys from, uh, you know, from Indiana, from Michigan, from all over the place, um, I think that is understated. I think that's something that people really won't give them credit for, but it's a lot harder to do than you would think. Again, those wins over Michigan and Michigan State were big um, for guys like Jalen Reed, for guys like Jamari Budden and, and the King brothers. That you know, you can sort of plant that flag there, and then if you lose to both of those teams. It really doesn't mean all that much. So I think that that is something that we, you know, certainly we should give them the credit for. And then the receiver class is something that, you know, was kind of a roller coaster for this entire process. You thought those three guys from Maryland would be it very, very early. Um, Jared Parker leaves and that kind of blows that whole thing up. Taylor Stubblefield comes in, doesn't really get off on the right foot uh, with, with, with all that kind of stuff. And then he comes around, signs Lonnie White, Liam Clifford. Uh, you know, Clifford's been on, on, the, on the commitment list for a long, long time. And, and and then Trey Wallace there at the end. That's a good group right there. And especially when you were thinking about, you know, will Penn State, you know, add a guy to to Clifford or will will Lonnie White to, you know, when back when he's a mid three star, is Lonnie White a, a dude? And it looks like he he will be a very good football player should he decide to go that route. So I think those are the two things that jump out to me about that signing day. Obviously, you know, everybody's going to be let down by by how this class went and, you know, the ups and downs and the roller coaster and then the long lull uh, over the summer and into the fall. Um, but those are three things or two things positive wise that really stand out to me. I mean, that's exactly where I was going to go. I thought you might save me one of those. You, you took care of both, and 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 I'm perfectly okay with no, that. No, I want to put you. I wanted to put you on the spot and see if you can just think off the well, top. Well, in of your a 15 head. player class, too, it's it's hard to cover a lot more ground than what you just did. But I, I just going back to the first point because we have talked about the wide receiver group quite a bit and how that came together with with names we didn't maybe anticipate, but the the finished product you really like it. I do think that you know beyond just the you know surviving the lack of visits and and not getting these guys on campus together and trying to build those bonds virtually and, and the challenges there 
the peer pressure plays a role in, in recruiting every year and social media has really fanned those flames. So I noticed, I don't know if you did, but sometimes just opening up Twitter on a Sunday morning or, or on a Saturday night, leaving the stadium after some of those really rough Saturdays for Penn State, you'd have guys like Landon Tengwall, Christian Veyu, Jalen Reed kind of going out there. Maybe one sentence may just be hashtag we are, but basically saying, hey, things are not good right now for Penn State. I'm on board, though. I believe in the future. And if you read the comments, I mean, whether it was locally for some of those kids in Michigan trying to say, hey, stay home, go to this school, or just basically maybe shaming them for being Penn State commits and trying to trying to get after them, that can be a lot. That can be a lot to deal with, especially when you're you're not getting together with these guys in person and, and getting some some stability from that peer support. But they got to the finish line with all 15 on board. I was really curious. In fact, I think it was fair to wonder if that was even 50-50 at best at some stages because of the circumstances. But they did it. They did it by 10 a.m. on on Wednesday. All these guys had had signed and and sent in their letters of intent. So I think that says uh, reflects well on James Franklin and his staff, the transparency they showed, the tough conversations that they had on some of these Sundays uh, about trying to right the ship and how these uh, how the sons of these parents were going to help do that moving forward and not an easy thing to do. And, and uh, so I think that that is commendable. It may not be uh, the, the, the 15 names that everyone had written down uh, coming out of last winter. But it's 15 names that you can work with, and, and I think at the very end, loyalty matters right now in this recruiting class, and we'll see how that sustains moving forward. But there's a lot of programs right now that are signing guys that are, are very wishy-washy, and, and I don't know how long those guys are going to be on campus. It feels like there's some unity. It feels like there's some pretty strong ties with this group, with the staff, with the families, without being able to get together in person. And I think that carries well for them, considering the roster upheaval that I think awaits college football as a ramification of what this 2021 recruiting class became. Yeah, and that's been a mess of a cycle everywhere, um, especially, uh, I guess, uh, uh, kind of, uh, what am I trying to say here? Uh, you, you follow at Penn State, so you think it happens more. It, it's happened at a few places, although it's amplified, you know, at, at Penn State. So, I mean, it, it is really kind of where you go with this. And, and to me, the funniest thing or probably the most uh, positive uh the 2022 class, it, it, it really makes no sense that, it sh- that it's at where it's at right now. That, and, <laughs> I, and you can see where I'm struggling right, to find right. words here because you've got no juice or whatever in the 2021 class and the 2022 has started off as it has. And no one has no, left that no class left either. That class yeah. and, it, and you, <laughs> you kind of think it's – you know, you're thinking 2021 is an anomaly and you hope that 2021 is an anomaly. It's just, it's been very interesting to track the difference in that because I don't know that I've seen anything like it. And I don't know that there's a good way to describe it or a good reason that it's, that it's happening, you know? There, there, <laughs> there's a lot of things that are indescribable about what we're seeing happen on the recruiting trail right now. And, and, um, we'll talk a lot about that 2022 class. It's going to be fully in focus, uh, in a matter of months, but, Right now, we'll continue to keep tabs on what awaits the remainder of the 2021 cycle. The National Signing Day that we all used to know and love in February, it's still there. doesn't get as much attention as it used to, but you also have the transfer portal. And we've already discussed that is going to be something we'll be monitoring very, very closely at Lions 24-7. You'll want to get
get VIP access because that kind of stuff, the little nuggets that may come out of the Lash building and little things we're hearing from our network of experts across the country, that's going to be carrying some weight behind uh, on our message boards. And, and Sean has been all over that so far. And we look forward to kind of dissecting it. It is a, a whole new deal uh, for college football roster construction. That's going to do it for this episode. We covered a lot of ground with the earlier signing period. If you want kind of a more detailed prospect by prospect look, again, Go check out the episode that dropped late Tuesday night that we went over all 15 guys, kind of detailed the process that led them to Penn State. This was a little bit more big picture on the recruiting trail. Uh, Thanks again to our guest, Joey Wagner, for talking Illinois football. That matchup coming your way 530 on Saturday. We'll have full coverage of that on Lions 24-7. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll catch up with you real soon.